0: Let's dive into today's topic. Hey, Brandon here. Thanks for the download today. If you're not subscribed yet, you can go to iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher or your favorite podcast app and you can get our weekly episodes as they come out. And uh you can go back and download all the previous episodes. They're there and they're free. Uh, I think we're over ninety-five by this point you're here this podcast today. Also if you I don't ask this very often, but if you would also do us a huge favor and leave us a review on your favorite podcast app. We'd really appreciate it. Uh so others like you can find the show and we just really appreciate the support. On to today's show. In this episode, I interview Chris Sheasley. He's the founder of In Accord, and they're located in Portland, Oregon. Chris is a conflict management professional with over 25 years of full-time experience, and he's got a track record of over 1,700 cases mediating. He also has amassed over 5,000 hours of experience teaching dispute resolution and related skills grounded in his real-world experience. So I think you're just really going to love what Chris has to say about managing conflict in the workplace. So enjoy the conversation. Hey, Chris, it's great to have you on the podcast. Welcome.
1: Oh, Brandon, thank you. I'm looking forward to chatting with you about it.
0: Yeah, it's gonna be a fun conversation. So you're a professional mediator. And you've worked with, I imagine, all sorts of people dealing with varying reasons for having conflicts. And I really wanted to ask you kind of this big overarching question. How and why do conflicts usually start in the workplace? If you work with a lot of people, I imagine you have a nice sampling of of reasons why they start.
1: Well, I certainly get kind of the worst conflicts that uh, organizations produce. (laughs) And um, so there's a whole range, of course, on the types of issues that finally prompt folks to give me a call. But uh, I think some of the core recurring themes I see in the work I do, it's really about personalities and work styles and just people's ability and capacity to, to get together and work through issues. Most of the time, most colleagues are able to work through things just because they have a good relationship or good rapport, but there are those certain types of working relationships that uh, just go awry for whatever reason and the trust isn't there, and so they need uh, some extra help to work through their, their concerns.
0: Do you feel like there's instances that happen that like causes a big blow up, or is it just over time, maybe interpersonal conflict, like it just builds and builds until it just becomes too much to where they just can't really work on it and they need somebody like you?
1: No, that's a great question. It's really both part of your question was, you know, is there an incident? And the other one is it, is it building? So really it's kind of inverted. That's usually building. There's this loss of rapport, loss of trust, just the styles are different and people have different expectations and they violate each other's expectations, et cetera. So that's kind of the backdrop. But then there's almost always an incident, you know, and I, I even kind of put that on the agenda in most of my mediation sessions. It's, you know, in capital letters, the incident. <laughs> It can be as uh, as kind of low-grade as just kind of a, a dirty look at a staff meeting that finally kind of sent people off the rails. Or, you know, I've had cell phones thrown across the room. Oh, and my goodness. <laughs> I mean, this is not in my sessions, but the kinds of situations that led to uh, me being called in. So there's almost always some linchpin moment where things go really off the rails for people, and they finally
0: call me yeah and you said finally call you and you and you obviously deal with like the worst of the worst by the time they call you when should somebody actually bring in somebody like you because i imagine that there's so many things that have probably happened before you even step into the picture so i'm kind of curious what happens from you know the zero moment of truth all the way to the point where you actually step into the picture oh
1: yeah that's a great question too for some reason, an avocado came to mind and she were asking that, <laughs> you know, you know how you bring home the avocado and it's not it's still too hard. Yeah. It's not quite ripe. But two days later, it's so ripe that it's kind of brown. <laughs> yeah, it's almost like that with conflict. There's kind of this moment where it's it's underripe, and you, you can't really intervene yet because people aren't motivated. Things aren't kind of broken enough, if you will. So there's those situations that are not quite ripe or ready for mediation or outside help. But then there are other situations that are just so far gone. And frankly, my response sometimes when I get pick up the phone is internally, I'm not actually saying this out loud, but hey, call me six months ago, you know? Yeah. Because <laughs> the conflict is just too broken. The relationships are too far gone at that point.
0: And they probably don't even realize it that it's too far gone, but they obviously something's on the line where they need to fix it. So, like, by the time you're in, what's usually on the line? Is it relationships? Is it money? Is it time? Like what? what's what's at stake?
1: Well, I think the reason I have that reaction is that in my life's mission really is to help people be more constructive in dealing with conflict and, and how to resolve problems in a way that uh, preserves relationships and gets work done and helps people be productive. I mean, that's my whole life's goal with my work. So it's discouraging sometimes when I get the call and they've kind of done all these other processes are more uh, adversarial you know they've done formal investigations or wow. they've had attorneys come in and, you know so those cases are just so uh, they've done so much and there's been so much churn that people aren't really ready to take a step back and say oh well now let's talk and try to resolve this through dialogue and negotiation so that's that's really too late that's what i'm referring to when i say that it's overripe
0: it almost seems like you should come in before an investigation probably have, unless there's like a huge incident where it's you know there's legal issues at play. But it seems like a mediator that'd be like one of the first steps, wouldn't it?
1: Well, yeah, you're speaking my language here, <laughs> and that's really my ideal. A uh, situation, Brandon, is where people do come in or contact me earlier than later because, you know, once there's this erosion of, of trust and people have been through a whole kind of investigative or an adversarial process, they're not really ready to then step back yeah. and start having a civil conversation and a constructive negotiation about it. So yeah. earlier is better.
0: I actually read a couple of your articles, and I, I thought there was a, a really nice point you made in one of the articles, and it was really talking about how conflict often starts from just a disagreement. And you mentioned that when you're kind of facing the disagreement, you should try to solve it with a handshake instead of a fist. I thought that was a nice point, and maybe give an example of of what you mean by that.
1: People are they're so entrenched, and by the time the conflict has kind of evolved and, and grown over time, there's a real tendency for always seeing the other person through this kind of filter of negativity. And I mean, it's almost comic. Sometimes people will say, oh, well, they said, uh, they said hello to me yesterday. And, and I just figured they were trying to get something from me. <laughs> I mean, it deteriorates to that point where people can't even do benign things and say benign things to each other without it being misinterpreted by the other side. Anyway, when I, I kind of get the mental image of people with their dukes up, you know, they're they're protecting themselves and their fists are so close defense, to their face. Yeah. Right, right. I think the job of good conflict resolution is to help people just put their fists down a little bit to allow something from the other side to come across.
0: Yeah, and I imagine it's something to do with empathy a little bit, like just seeking to understand the other side first before you put up the defenses.
1: Yeah, that's the ideal.
0: Although that's asking a lot of
1: people when you've been through this whole cycle of conflict and, you know, your arch enemy is uh, sitting there across the table from you. So I don't, I don't really start with helping them empathize. I really start with helping them share their own story and their own pain. And only once they've done that, then they can get to a point where they can start to hear the other person's stuff too.
0: I mean, by the time you come in, is it is it, do people really see it as like, this is my arch enemy? This is my adversarial. Is that really how people are thinking?
1: Well, I'm, I'm overstating some of this for effect, you know, to <laughs> <laughs> kind of underscore the point. I mean, in the, most of the time it's certainly not so egregious that it's arch enemies yeah. and, you know, that's kind of the language of conflict, but I'm I'm just trying to underscore some of the points here, yeah.
0: When conflict arises and you're sort of like in a group setting, you're part of a team, and you just sort of witness this ongoing conflict between maybe a couple people, What what's something they can do if they're just kind of a fly on the wall seeing all of this unfold? It just seems like it'd be an awkward situation. Just, should they do anything about it?
1: That's yeah, an interesting question about kind of the role others can play, and I think um, certainly, leadership has a role to play in the face of conflict, and you know, I think it's good management to notice and then intervene to the extent you can to try to work out some of those issues that people are having with each other. And then there's, I think, some colleagues or co-workers can certainly have an influence, too. Your question is kind of a microcosm of everything I do as a mediator to try to help people work through issues. So there's a, it's kind of a, an innocuous question, but there's a long question answer to it if i were to go into all the details of the things that you know you can do to help other people resolve their conflict, so
0: i guess if people are trying to resolve their own conflict what's something like bold that they can do to really try to get to an acceptance between both parties and you actually mentioned this in one of your articles but like what's something that they can do uh maybe one person does kind of boldly to try to get to kind of a nice resolution
1: That is one of the concepts I try to share with folks is this idea of uh, when the conflict is so far uh, evolved and the kinds of escalated things that we've been talking about. When you get to that point, you really do need to take a bold move, as you said. So saying something that's really uh, uh, an offer that's going to be meaningful to the other side. I encourage people to, uh, instead of just complaining about what the other person is doing, figure out how to talk about what they want the other person to do instead. So it's a subtle distinction, but instead of saying what you you don't like or what you don't think they should be doing, think about what you do want them to do instead. And then figure out how you can help them say yes uh, to what you're asking of them. So that anticipates what you think they need from you or what they're even saying they need from you. So it's really this quid pro quo of negotiation at its core. That's all I do is help people <laughs> negotiate. I'll give you this if you give me that. People can be reminded of that then it can be really uh, constructive in the conflict resolution process.
0: There's this concept of you know, active listening where you're you really listening to what somebody's saying and then you're kind of like regurgitating what they say just to show that you're kind of understanding of their point of view. Does that work in conflict? I
1: appreciate your skepticism, I think. I should start off by saying, and I kind of share that skepticism too, that people kind of do these rote learning. They learn about something and then they just kind of regurgitate that technique. In my experience, what really matters more than anything is authenticity and genuine curiosity. If you really don't want to hear the answer, then don't ask the question. (laughs) But uh, you can be very effective in conflict resolution if you just try to be curious. So that's something that's not all that hard to do, I find, if people tap into their real gut feeling about the other person. They really don't know why the other person is doing the things they do. They really are baffled. And so it's that kind of bafflement or curiosity that I encourage my clients to tap into and then ask the question based on that. Like, you had such a strong reaction when I said X and I'm not sure I understand where that came from. You know, help me understand why you had that reaction. That's vastly different than, hey, you're a jerk. The way you responded was totally offensive and I'm frustrated with you. (laughs) See the distinction, of course, between those two approaches.
0: Is there a typical type of person that, when it gets to the point where they need to bring you in, are they are people kind of similar, you see the same type of person on both sides, whether they're, you know, they're sticking to their ground, they're sort of the authoritarian dictator type of person where they're just they, you know, started the conflict but they're just adding fuel to the fire? Or is there some other type of people like passive and they're just not helping resolve the conflict because they're just they can't make decisions? I'm just kinda curious like what kind of people you're you're seeing that just when it gets to that level.
1: Well it's a fair question, but I would like to highlight that we all have conflicts um in our lives all the time it's a really natural normal part of human existence and uh, of course you know we all know that if there's no conflict in an organization then there's probably not much going on in the organization yeah that's I, w- I agree
0: with that
1: yeah so in the terms of the clients that i work with I, I wouldn't say there's a typical kind of person it's really just a dynamic it's it's almost a didactic process between the two sides that it has evolved to a point where it's it's not easy for them to resolve anymore and you know i think we all be honest by uh highlighting that we all have those kinds of relationships that have gone off the rails in our work life or in our personal life so i don't really blame the client yeah uh, it's just the the dynamic of conflict can be difficult for anybody yeah
0: it, just, it gets to a point where it's just too far gone I and mean, and people probably get emotional about it and that's where you really come in you mentioned that without conflict, then there's probably not much going on. I agree with that. But what does healthy conflict look like? Is it just where it's, you know, there's conflict, but you, you solve it pretty fast? You know, you seek to understand a little bit more? Or like, what does that look like?
1: I like the term healthy conflict. I have a training module called constructive conflict. So it's really like the same concept. And it's just that you can have uh, disagreements. You can have uh, different objectives. You can have different styles. And that can be healthy in the sense of diversity and different points of view and that that's useful. That's good for an organization to tap into those different approaches and and attitudes that people can bring. Because, of course, the opposite is if everybody's thinking the same, you have groupthink and you're not really making much progress. I really think it's important to have healthy conflict in the sense of just being able to keep the relationship intact as you work through the issues on the table.
0: So let's say I found myself in a really nasty situation where I made a a giant mistake, whether it was a blow up or just a a mistake that impacted other people. And I knew in my heart that I had a wrong that I needed to make right through like an apology. What's the right way to do an apology?
1: You know, I, I think of several different skills to get you there or kind of steps to get you there. The first one is to really hear the other person's hurt, to understand what impact what you did or what you said had on them and to not just try to gloss over it. I think we're uncomfortable when we mess up like you're describing. And so we want to just make it right. And I've had clients sit down with the other side and say, hey, before we start, I just want to tell you how sorry I am. But those often fall flat because the person across the table who's receiving this didn't get a chance to tell their story to show how they were hurt. So the first step is to kind of hold back and to just find out how the other person felt. What were the impacts? So back to your kind of active listening stuff. So start there. And then the next step is to apologize for what you did rather than how the other person reacted. We all know these kind of weak (laughs) apologies are like, I'm sorry, you felt blah, blah, when I blah, blah, blah. (laughs) And that's just so beating around the bush. And what you really need to do is figure out what you did that was wrong and what impact did it have on the other person and apologize for that and then the last thing is to apologize without expecting them to do anything in return you know so if you're going to apologize don't apologize because you want something in exchange for that but apologize because you messed up and did something wrong and maybe I'd add one little footnote here is if it's worth doing all of this if there's a relationship that's important enough to apologize to the other person about something you did then you should assume that they're going to forgive you
0: <laughs> that's good. that's a really good point when conflict is arising to a point, or it's escalating to a point where it, it starts to take notice, what can HR managers or even direct managers of these people, what could they do to sort of step in and not make it super awkward to try to fix this situation? But what, what kind of uh, assistance can they provide?
1: One of the things they can do is to try to figure out uh, what people want, you know, what the issue is, and to try to understand some of the background. I think it's always very easy to see on the surface what they're fighting about. you know. They're fighting about, make it super simplistic, uh, the noise from the other person's cubicle, or they talk too loud on the phone, or uh, something like that. But what's animating that upset? Why does person A feel so strongly about it? So I think a good manager intervening in those kinds of situations can explore, you know, you, you're really upset about this issue. What's that about? Why do you feel so strongly about it? What, what's it preventing you from doing? How's it getting in your way, or how's it affecting your productivity? So to ask those kinds of questions that kind of go beyond the surface level, and then underneath the surface, you can often find some commonalities and kind of use that as leverage to get the both both people working together instead of against each other.
0: The examples you kind of gave, like uh, you know being too noisy at a desk or something like that. Do you, do you feel like when the conflict is sort of arising, it, it's in a passive-aggressive way, or or it's not necessarily direct? Like the person's not going directly to the person and saying, "Hey, look." turn down your radio it's it's way too loud i can't work or are they going around them to like the manager or saying things passive aggressively kind of i'm just kind of curious how people typically handle that
1: yeah i'm afraid you're right i'm often astonished how people will either do you know the a or b scenarios you laid out there so one is they won't make any noise at all about their upset they won't raise the issue at all until it's an explosive comment about it. Like, "Ah, I've been putting up with you for six months. I want you to stop making all that noise over there in your cubicle. And the other person is literally flabbergasted, has no idea it was an issue, and is just stunned. So I think many people have that tendency to kind of bottle it up and then explode, which is, of course, not productive at all. And then the other one that you kind of built into your question was about going to other people. And that's the other way people often react to something they don't like, is they talk to people that they do like. They talk to their friends that are coworkers. They talk to their manager. They talk to others. Everybody but the person that actually is the source of their concern, which of course is a very roundabout way of dealing with things and and not all that productive.
0: Chris, this has been fun. Is there anything else you'd want to say about just most of the people that listen to this podcast? There tend to be HR professionals. Is there anything that you'd want to tell them just to look for or you know, a strategy to use? I mean, this has been super helpful. I and mean, I think you, I don't want to give away too much of what you do for training wise, but I mean, anything else, any nuggets you could give HR professionals?
1: So I think one of the things that I would just share in closing is a um, specific technique to, to deal with a conflict situation. If you're kind of in the room, I think most people are comfortable kind of coaching individuals through a conflict situation. But when you really have both people in the room kind of simultaneously and you're trying to work through those real-time arguments and conflicts between people, that can be really uncomfortable. Mm, yeah. So I think one of the techniques I would encourage it when you're in that predicament is to um, help people try to figure out what other explanations there are for each other's behavior. Because we always fill in the blank. We always think we know why the other person did A or B or C. The only person who really knows what they were doing, and what their intention was, is the person that did that. So I think it's very useful in a kind of third-party role to figure out how they're interpreting each other and what the actor's real intentions were. And so that can be very powerful.
0: Yeah, I'll pull a thread on that a little bit. So if an HR professional is kind of seeing this unfold or a manager, do you kind of take them aside separately and and really kind of get to the root of the problem do you bring them together like how does that how does that work
1: in my work it's always a two-step it's always the individual work to see if they're good candidates if the case is ripe enough if it's a uh, situation that can be worked on or if it's too far gone and so individual work is really important plus that's just building rapport and finding out the story and all those things but i'm always building up to the point where i'd like to bring them together Because it's very inefficient, ultimately, for me or a manager or an HR professional to kind of be in the middle and do the kind of Henry Kissinger back and forth thing of uh, carrying information and proposals and ideas back and forth. The best people to resolve the conflict are the people that have the conflict. And that's a big leap of faith for a lot of HR people in my experience training and working with HR folks, that that these really difficult employees that are having trouble, you can get them to work out their own conflict. That's kind of the, the leap of faith I ask people to make. Is that they they can and people do all the time. So I encourage people to give that a shot.
0: Well said, Chris. What's your website address to drive some of the listeners to your website? And also, you're pretty active in the Portland area. Anything you're up to with events or speaking? Like, where can people find more about what you're doing?
1: Oh, sure. So the website is inaccordnw.com. dot com. So inaccord like in agreement, nw for northwest dot com. And as far as activities, primarily I'm an in-house trainer, so I don't have much public seating for my trainings. But anybody who wants to can go to the website, sign up for our newsletter, and kind of stay in touch with things we're up to.
0: Fantastic. Chris Sheasley, thank you for joining the podcast. It's been a lot of fun. Appreciate it.
1: Thank you, Brandon. I appreciate it too.
0: Thanks for listening to the Human Resources for Small Business podcast. Subscribe to this podcast and leave us a review on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, be sure to check out our blog at www.zeniumhr.com forward slash blog and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn to hear about the latest in HR and leadership. The information on today's episode is for educational purposes only and should not be taken as legal or customized advice for you or your organization. This podcast is hosted and fully produced by Brandon Laws, that's me, and created and owned by Zenium Resources, Inc. For more information or to contact us, visit www.zeniumhr.com.